I think it does speak to how hard it is to talk about suicide and how many of us have a story to share. If by writing I can help just one person, then it's worth it to me. If you or someone you love is struggling with thoughts of suicide, please call 988 to connect with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Help is available. Please ask. This is Daring to Tell, the podcast where writers read their own true stories of personal daring. Then we talk about writing and life. I am your host, Michelle Rado. I never did see nothing like that. I never did dream nothing like that. When I first met Charlotte Maya, we were each in our own little chiclet boxes of a Zoom writing workshop in January of this year. Each person introduced themselves, what they were writing about, what phase of their project they were at. Somehow, even through the Zoom, I felt a bit of a collective whoosh of air escaping the spaces we each occupied when Charlotte told us about her memoir that dealt with the suicide death of her husband, Sam, and how she was left to raise two sons, Danny and Jason, ages eight and six. The book was called Sushi Tuesdays. She was weeks away from her publication date. Her tone was serious and measured and even and calm. What that woman must have been through, I thought, and I immediately felt a magnetic pull I sometimes feel in my core towards her, when something invisible pulls us to a person or sometimes a place for an unknown reason. Suicide of a loved one, such a tragic, contorted trauma to be thrust into. Like many people, I had a story of suicide in my family history, and I needed to learn more about hers, what she had learned through this unimaginable life detour. In April, I had her on this podcast, and we talked about her newly released memoir, Sushi Tuesdays, which was what she called her day for self-care. There was a second big surprise for me once I started reading the book, and that was pretty much the topic of our first conversation. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. However, When I stopped recording after that conversation and was chatting with her more about writing and publishing her book, I asked her about something I had noticed. She didn't have an audiobook, and she was wonderful reading her own work. So I said, Charlotte, I noticed you don't have an audiobook. Do you have plans for one? Are you planning to read it yourself? Well, that opened a door to a first for each one of us. For her, a debut narration, although she had done much reading aloud. For me, the first professional production of an audiobook, 
although I had done much audio production in my life, but never a project of this magnitude. So it was a summer where she and I spent many, many hours recording and producing the Sushi Tuesdays audiobook, which I will very proudly say is available right now through Audible. At the culmination of that project, I wanted to have her back for another conversation where we could discuss her book more fully, as well as give a little peek behind the scenes at what it was like for her to narrate her own audiobook. When we spoke again through my Riverside FM virtual recording studio, I greeted her with this. I have to say this is very bittersweet because it's like, yes, here we are talking again and we have spent many, many hours together. Yes. Listening, me listening, you reading, and then you listening to Sushi Tuesdays. And I want to start with a single word, and then I have so many questions for you, and we'll just see how it goes. We'll dive in. My first word for you is hope. Mm -hmm. This is such a book of hope. And I think that that, among many things, is what is at the core of the book and of you and of your experience. And so I really want to start with that because I think it's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. That being said, my follow-up question to that word of hope is talking about suicide Mm -hmm. and naming that. And you've spent a lot of time talking about suicide, not just since Sushi Tuesdays has come out, but for a long time before that. And Mm -hmm. I am very curious why you think people don't want to talk about it or even maybe hear about it, either one of those two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's a real conversation stopper sometimes, Um, but not always. So I feel like suicide is just a really hard word even to say. It's it's Mm -hmm. hard to understand. It's it's so painful. It's so contrary to what we understand about our own humanity. I just believe that our entire physiology is wired for self-preservation. Yeah. And so suicide is anathema to that. Right. And I think that's part of why it's so hard to talk about. There is a lot of shame and stigma around suicide. That's another reason why it's so difficult Mm -hmm. to talk about. Yeah. When the police came to my home to let me know that Sam had died by suicide, they said, we will tell the children that their father died, but you have to tell them how. And we recommend that you tell them the truth because you do not want them to find out from somebody else. And at a time when nothing made sense, that actually made sense. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. The children were six and eight, and suicide was not a word on their radar. They had no idea what the word even meant. And to try to understand how the strongest man they knew, as Danny said, did this to himself, it yeah. just yeah. didn't make any sense. Right, right. So 
The policeman's advice to me to be honest and transparent really guided my journey forward. We can't solve the problem of suicide by not talking about it. And I was terrified. I was afraid that I would be ostracized from my beloved community because of how Sam died. But what I found was actually the opposite. What I found was connection. Certainly, there were some who didn't want to talk about it or hear about it. But I was really surprised at how many people were aching to have this conversation. So many people have experienced the loss of a loved one in this way. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in this country. It's the second leading cause of death for two age demographics, 25 to 34 and 10 to 14. Oh, God, that's just... Which is horrifying. Unfathomable, yes. Unfathomable. But also why we have to talk about it. The first day I brought the kids to school, Sam died on a Saturday, and I brought the kids to school on Monday. Um, I told them both, you know, do your best, and when you're ready to come home, have your teacher call me. And as I started to walk home by myself, I was afraid to make eye contact with anybody because I just thought, okay, here's where it begins. Nobody's going to want to talk to the widow now. And I was just met with arm upon arm, hugs, people saying, Charlotte, if you need anything, please let me know. I'm praying for you. I'm so sorry. They told me their own stories of suicide Mm -hmm. and they held me. Yeah. And that surprised me because I was so afraid of the stigma and the shame and the isolation. It can be so isolating to lose someone to suicide. And we are not alone. I think it's something like someone dies by suicide just in this country once every 11 minutes. And so every 11 minutes, we lose someone who matters. And every 11 minutes, all the people who love that person are suffering a devastating loss. This impacts millions and millions of people just in this country. But we don't like to talk about it because it is heartbreaking and it is sad. But I do have hope because, you know, we didn't used to say the C word cancer Mm. until Betty Ford was very transparent with her breast cancer diagnosis. And what happens when you start talking about it, not only does it reduce the stigma and shame, but you get research dollars and support and understanding and a fluency. We know now what some of the signs of cancer might be. And what if we were just as fluent in suicidal ideation, then we would become better at recognizing those signs. Exactly. So it matters for everybody. It matters for people who are struggling with depression. It matters for the people who love someone struggling with depression. And it matters for someone who's lost someone they love to suicide because that person is so much more than their last moments. And the risk of that stigma and shame that reduces someone we love to their very last moments, it's not true and it's not fair. And when we understand suicide as an illness, because it is contrary to how our physiology is wired, how we work, how our bodies and minds work when they are working, when we understand that suicide is an illness, then it becomes easier to have the conversation. And then we can start to find our way forward 
Yeah, it's true. And it's so important. And another thing I, I know I've heard you say before is that talking is the thing that helps. Talking yes. is the antidote to suicide. Yes, so that's right. If there's anything we can do, you know, if it were so easy, quote unquote, and I obviously, you know, I'm not minimizing this at all. That's why I named my podcast Daring to Tell. It's <laughs> really, really scary to talk about things a lot of yes. times. But if we can talk about it, and that is the first step to conquering it and to facing the mental illness that we need to overcome in order to transcend this illness, then yes, we need to get rid of that fear. And I think facing fear is one of the biggest themes that I often think about, you know, so. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right, Michelle. People are sometimes afraid if they can see that someone they love is suffering and struggling and they're not quite sure, but they're worried. Sometimes people are afraid to ask, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Yeah. Have yeah. you contemplated suicide? And it makes sense that people are afraid to ask because they're afraid that they might put an idea in somebody's head that wasn't already there. But the research shows that's not how it works. By talking about it, you haven't given anyone an idea that they haven't already thought about. What you mm -hmm. are doing when you say, have you thought about hurting yourself? Have you considered suicide? you are demonstrating that you are a safe person to have that conversation with. And you mm. do not have to be the expert. You can right. go right then and say, let's find somebody who can help you. You do not have right, to know the right. answers. But if your loved one knows that you are with them in that distress, that is a game changer. Yeah, yeah. This is why I am thrilled to have worked with you on this audiobook and to have read Sushi Tuesdays overall because it is such an important message and hopefully a step in starting conversations. Yes. And to that end, I did definitely want to talk about the audiobook aspect of this book today. Why did you want to narrate Sushi Tuesdays yourself? Yeah, that's a great question because there are so many really great professional narrators. I do think that memoir is a particular genre that is well-suited to the author reading the book themselves, himself, herself. Mm -hmm. And I thought I could do a good job. I, you know, like a lot of kids did the theater program when I was in high school and a little bit in college. And I thought I could do a nice job. And I really think that with memoir, I love memoirs that are narrated by the author. Right. I just think it adds an intimacy and you just feel so connected when you hear somebody reading their own memoir. It just feels different to me than with fiction. So I feel like with fiction and a lot of other nonfiction, it's probably better to have a professional narrator read it. But there's mm -hmm. something about memoir that is so personal that 
it makes sense for the author to read it. And by the time I had completed the book, I had actually used an editing technique that I learned in a workshop, which is just as horrifying as it sounds. You read your entire manuscript, (laughs) record it, and then listen to yourself reading it. And it's horrifying for a lot of reasons. One, a lot of people don't like the sound of their own voice. And then you really hear the difference between what you thought you were writing and what you've actually written. It's a very efficient and effective way to edit, but it's, it can be a little breathtaking when you have to read what you've actually written. And I had done that twice in the course of writing my book. So by the time I had finished my manuscript and had an agent and she was pitching publishers, I felt like I really could do a good job narrating it myself. I didn't hear my own voice in that way anymore. I was starting to hear it as what would it sound like if I was just reading the book? So I think that was one thing that gave me a a little bit of comfort that I might not otherwise have had. Well, it's funny that you say that because I I was going to ask you about that very thing. I was watching the interview that your, I'll call her your writing coach, but the, the yes. group that you were in with Karen Gutman, right? Yes. Is that, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you had mentioned that about reading it twice. So I am just more curious to hear about what that was like for you when you first decided to do that. And what phase of the book were you in? Were you in different phases of editing it when you did those two different reads? Yes, I had, you know, my first messy draft as they call it. And to get that draft, it's which, so that draft, nobody has seen. And I think I've lost it probably intentionally. Um, (laughs) And like a lot of first drafts, it was, it was overwritten. It was too long. And I recorded the whole thing from beginning to end and then listened to the whole thing, you know, paragraph by paragraph. So I got to my second draft uh, from the second draft to the third draft it was when Karen Gutman, who's my book coach, she I did a personal book coaching program with her, which I highly recommend for people, especially if they are writing their first book. So she helped me get from draft two to draft three. And then draft three to four, I again read the entire thing out loud to myself yeah. and listened to myself to get it to the next place. By then, it was starting to sound more like a book. And I think because I enjoy reading in all iterations. I love the tactile, hard copy paper books. I read ebooks. Sometimes that's just a really easy way, especially of traveling mm-hmm. or downloading from the library. And I love audiobooks. So I could start to imagine the finish line on my manuscript because it does Mm -hmm. take quite a few drafts, as you know, to get from the first draft to something that is ready to go out into the world. And I could start to hear it. Literally, I could start to hear it. Right. And so there's something, too, about that interplay between the words and the the words on the page and the spoken word. and. So that really brings a lot of clarity to which Mm. words might make the most sense. Right, right. So when you did that, clearly you became comfortable with not only your own voice, because 
it's true when people first ever sit in front of a microphone and hear their own voice either in the headphones or play it back and listen, we all have that moment of going, is that really what I sound? <laughs> Other people listen to that from me? But yep. um, but we get used to it and you learn what your voice is. And so you did become familiar with reading your own words. So, and, and I mean, obviously I could not agree more about the intimacy of hearing a memoirist read her own work. And I have been just so passionate about that since before I, since I very first actually started listening to audiobooks at all. It was my introduction into audiobooks where I began trying to seek out writers who had read their own books because I thought, I mean, in in a funny way, I suppose, coming from the radio world, you hear people speaking in the first person all the time. And I thought that's that's the best way to hear something. So I really want to hear authors. And and I heard some authors, famous people who did not read their own book. And I was just aghast at the fact that they would <laughs> have someone else read their own story. So yeah, so I, I could not agree more about what gets communicated when one reads their own book. But the mm -hmm. intimacy of sharing that, too, I just didn't know. You know, after we spoke, the first time we spoke on Daring to Tell, I asked you, have you thought about recording? So that little nugget of a behind-the-scenes moment for our listeners now I was so grateful for because you were like, well, as a matter of fact, I was interested <laughs> in that very thing. So I guess mm, the question I'll go to from, from there is what was different when we recorded now? So I think one of the things that made you such a wonderful reader, which does take a lot of work and preparation and skill to read one's own work or read any work, really. What was different when we started working together from the other times when you had read your book aloud, top to tail? Mm, that's a great question. And I want to just reflect back to you. The fact that you had asked me that question after you and I had uh, talked on Daring to Tell last time, yeah. whether I had an audiobook coming out or whether I would narrate it myself, the fact that you asked me also gave me some confidence because you have so much experience mm -hmm. in this area. That also gave me some confidence that, that I could do a nice job on the audiobook. Well, a lot of things were kind of different learning the technical aspects. So yep. that was different instead of just using, you know, the little iPhone headphones with the microphone, right. having an actual microphone and putting the pieces together, having it set up on an arm and commandeering a closet and covering it with every blanket and pillow in the house. So some of that, <laughs> some of those sort of right. logistical pieces I love to learn and try new things. So all of that is fun for me. And by then I had obviously a completed manuscript, a published book. So I just had to read it, which 
is harder than it sounds, but yeah. uh, at least, you know, there was not any ad lib in terms of the words on the page. Right. Although sometimes I would read what I thought I had written and then have to look at it and go, oh, wait, that's not exactly what I wrote in the book. It's surprising how often that happens, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did find a couple typos that annoyed me. Um, so, you know, you can't yeah. win them all. <clears throat> but overall, there's not a lot I would change about it. So that is kind of a gratifying feeling, too. There's not a lot I would go right, back and say, right. mm, I would totally rewrite that or anything like that. Yeah. So that, that yeah, feels yeah, pretty yeah. good. Like I did the work and all of that editing, it made a difference. Right. Yeah. And so that was fun. But even things like, so I'm figuring out how to do this. And one of the things I'm learning is that you get a better audio quality if the narrator is standing and not sitting. So mm -hmm. I did stand to record, but it gets exhausting after an hour, yeah, two hours. We didn't usually record more than two hours at a time. Right. But even after an hour needing to stretch, and whenever we finished our sessions or recording sessions, I went straight to the kitchen. I was so hungry. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I know. And Well, and these are the things that I find interesting too, because starting with the technical part, that was something that I new, but you and I had to figure out by coastally because you're on the West Coast and I am on the East Coast. So that was another challenge of what we were doing. Mm -hmm. But I was fairly confident in figuring out, you know, like what microphone should we try and get for you and helping you set up your closet. And I will also say that you were going to town, like doing all this research, finding out about, oh, I'm going to wear quiet clothing. You, learn, <laughs> you learned Who about knew? quiet clothing. <laughs> Who knew that clothes could be so noisy, but they sure can be. And so, yeah, from like setting up a studio, you know, I used to be able to come into a soundproof, state-of-the-art studio with a NABIT engineer sitting behind the board who would set up the microphones, figure out which mic was the best for the person who was coming in, sit there, and all I had to do was, all I had to do, <laughs> I say in quotes, <laughs> was show up and listen and say, let's try that again or do a different take or maybe say it like this or whatever it was. And the beauty of all the things that are available to us now is that we can do this, you in your closet and me sitting at my desk, and come up with something that sounds maybe not exactly the same, but pretty darn close. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was terrifying and thrilling. And so I like to hear your end of it too. And, and you mentioned wanting to learn. That was also very gratifying for me to be able to say, here's why we're doing this, or here's how we're going to do it. And and I think that to hear on your end too, I mean, I have not really been the person in front of a microphone until only recently when I started doing this podcast. Mm. So the stamina that's involved is exactly right. I mean, it's hard to think about what it's like to 
stand because you have better breath control and, you know, where you are in front of your microphone makes a big difference. So we were quite meticulous about making sure you're in the same spot every Mm -hmm. time and that matching is a huge thing. So I don't know, as we went through this together, all these analogies popped up for me all the time (laughs) that I would share with you about, you know, it's like a high wire act because there's no other sound. There's not other production material Mm -hmm. that you can use to mask anything. It's just you, your voice, and your story for 11 hours and 39 minutes or something approximately (laughs) that that long, which we didn't find out until the very end. So I would love to hear you describe your preparation because you'd put a lot Mm -hmm. into preparing for each session. And so what was that? Yeah. I did. And to answer a question you alluded to earlier, one of the differences between when I just recorded it for myself and listened for editing purposes and when I was recording with you on the other side is I could get some immediate feedback on how the reading was, how the emotion was, how the speed or pacing was, whether as I read it, it really landed for you. Mm -hmm. And That is very different than when it's just me in my own head. Yeah. yeah. Even if I'm aided by, you know, earphones or whatever. Yeah. But you certainly, when you would listen back to yourself from doing that, you had a feeling about the emotion or how, what you were saying, right? Yes. Because I had an, I knew what I wanted to convey. And so being able to get that feedback. And I knew I had done that. Obviously, by then the the book was published. I knew I had done that on the page, but mm-hmm. still there's something about the audio version being able to convey that same emotion or maybe even more so with audio because then it's words and sound. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I had, well, I stopped eating dairy. That was one thing I did. Overall? And overall. Wow. Yeah, now while we're we recording. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a huge sacrifice. Uh, I know, In my right? book, that's a huge sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't usually give up dairy, but I did for purposes of this. And when we finished recording the whole thing, the first thing I did then when I ran up to the kitchen was I opened the freezer and I got out a half pint of ice cream yeah. and I ate almost <laughs> the whole thing right then. Good <laughs> reward. Good reward. Yep. So I would take about an hour and I would do some simple yoga stretches, maybe a couple down dogs and uh, stretch a little bit. I would meditate for at least 10 minutes, sometimes longer. I would drink a cup of licorice tea or something vocal cord friendly. I would do some vocal exercises, Mm -hmm. some just like scales, and then some of the exercises you and I practiced. It's Mm -hmm. amazing how once you turn that mic on, you see that little red light glowing, uh, all yep. of a sudden it feels like I can't articulate and I trip over the words. It's like a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird it is thing, a that weird, little red light. Yes. Oh, that little red light. I know. They could write a book about the little red light, I think. yeah. Yes, I think so too. Uh, so those those were the things I would do. It took me usually about an hour. I would, yes, I would dress in my quiet clothes, which meant mm-hmm. no jewelry, short sleeve t-shirt and yoga pants 
were are the quiet clothes. And <laughs> so that was comfortable and nice. The yeah. closet is that particular closet happens to be in the coldest room in the house. So that was good too, because by the time I was standing for an hour or two hours with the light on inside the closet, it was no longer the coldest room right. in the house. It's surprising, um, isn't it? It's like you, it is you stand there for so long and you're talking and you go. And I wasn't even the one talking. I would leave my room and I would say, wow, it's really <laughs> it's really hot in here. And it is not a hot room either. So Yeah, between the equipment and the yeah. effort, there's just a lot of energy happening, which is yeah. good, which is a good thing. Yes. And the thing is, I mean, I so love that you, I mean, we did talk about a few little vocal exercises and warm-ups and techniques to get your breath support going and to relax your face and all those kind of things. I was really impressed with just your whole ritual that you put into place because it's a physical and an emotional undertaking. And there's a lot of, obviously, the full gamut of emotion in this book and it's just, it was a, a beautiful, wonderful thing to be on the receiving end of that with you. So it really, um, it just came off so well. And so I think that that, y you done good. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It's, as I say often, life is a team sport. And I am so yeah. grateful that we were a team on this. And I, yeah. I am very excited about the audio coming out. I am very proud of the work we've done. Something else I was just Me thinking too. about with my Me routine, too. it got uh -huh. to the point where when I started my routine before you and I were recording, yeah. my dog, who is usually at my heels at all time, but uh -huh. for obvious reasons, wasn't allowed in the closet with yeah, me. Yeah. When he started seeing me go through my routine, he would oh. go upstairs to his bed and just yep. wait. It was pretty cute <laughs> he knew. that he knew that... He wasn't allowed in the closet, so Aww. he might as well go to his own comfortable bed and very wait. sweet. Yeah, I and for other reasons, I would make sure that the cat is on the other side of the door too, because the minute I start doing something on the computer, that's the one place he decides he needs to be is right. Well, he must. Yes, where I am. That's, so that's how <laughs> that's cats how roll. Do it. Exactly. Um, another question about audiobooks and Sushi Tuesdays. Is there something different you think a listener might take away from the listening as opposed to the reading or that you would want them to get through the listening of it? That's an interesting question. I think my answer is that it depends on how a reader likes to consume their stories. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the experience is a little bit different, but both intimate, both vulnerable and honest and transparent. And I would hope that either way people, and I know a lot of people like to do both, to read the book yeah. and to listen to the audio because they are different experiences. Right. I think either way, honestly, I hope that people will feel hope and also feel that they can share their own stories because I really, mm. there's so many stories. This is just mine. And I am optimistic that more people will start to share their stories. 
Yeah. Because it's important for all of us to hear. Yeah. So however people like to consume their story. <laughs> however I mean. they like to consume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I will say also in terms of listening and reading, often I will first listen to an audio, listen to a book by consuming the audio book, and then buy the book afterwards. So <laughs> I like to have mm-hmm. both in that way. And, you know, and obviously, again, as I say, I love hearing just the emotion or the tone of how the author reads their work, because that sometimes brings a different meaning to it, I think. I think so, too. And I do think that is unique to the audio version. Yeah. That you really can hear what the author, narrator was experiencing, thinking, meaning in that moment. Yeah. It's a different nuance. Mm -hmm. And to that end, I'm thinking maybe what I'll do is play a couple of my favorite moments. Great. I wanted to share a few because when I read your book, I sometimes think, oh, I wonder what that would sound like. And so the first one I'm going to play is fairly early in the book. I will introduce it briefly by saying it contains a greeting that Sam, your husband, and Zach, his brother, cousin, used to have with each other on the phone. I don't know if you want to set it up a little more. No, they just had a special way of greeting each other. So I always knew when Sam was talking to Zach, because Zach was the only person with whom Sam used that particular introduction. So... I was very curious because it's written in the book, but I go, oh, I wonder what it sounds like. So here Mm -hmm. is what that sounded like. He was also a lawyer, bright, insightful, and big-hearted. Zach wanted to save the world, or at least our corner of the world, or at least his own family, and his definition of family was expansive. I could tell immediately when Sam was on the phone with Zach from the prolonged hey that they used to greet each other. It made me smile, their silly call and response, hey, 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 each progressively lower. So I have a follow-up question to the haze, Charlotte. (laughs) Would would Sam do all three or would they do like back and forth, Mm. hey, 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 would it be like Sam, Zach, Sam? Yes, it is back and forth. And in fact, Zach and I, that's how he and I greet each other now. I'll say, hey, and he'll go, hey, and I'll go, hey, and (laughs) I can't get my voice as low as Zach does. So he usually, you know, wins. But there is, there's more back and forth than just the three. I see. Okay. That I see. Now I have learned something by... (laughs) Mm-hmm. by listening to what that greeting sounded like. So that was the one we just listened to is a little jaunty. This one is much more serious. Um, and in the very, very early, the first night when you were measuring the time after Sam's death, basically in hours, and just mm-hmm. that absolute disbelief as you were trying to kind of grapple with what had just happened in your life. But this, I just think, is a a beautiful portion of the book, so I will play this. The minute hand taunted me with its measured waltz around the face of the clock. 
It danced infuriatingly forward, despite my desire to will it backwards toward morning. The last time I saw him, a chance to change my future, to change his, to give the children back the father they had lost. I pleaded with the divine and bargained with the clock. Go back, go back, go back. I just so feel that when when I listen to you and, and um, mm. the disbelief and the denial and of that early, early time. And just so, um, I don't know, Charlotte, I have so struggled with adjectives when I think about this book. And, and that's one reason I actually think that the, the voice itself is, is the description of it. Does that make sense? I think you might know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, it is hard to articulate those emotions in those moments. And there, there is, there's just more conveyed when you have the words plus the voice. Yeah. So that was an early moment that I think is something that people do relate to when you've gone through something that you're just still incredulous over. Yeah. The next one I wanted to play is from weeks into you continuing on with your life and with one of the Janes, which if people are not familiar with the book, do you want to explain the, the Janes? Yeah, the Janes. I have so many people, as I said, connect and want to help. It surprised me. And even my therapist would get confused because I had Jane, Jeannie, Joni, Janie, <laughs> Jenny. I had all these friends with J names. And my background is as a lawyer, so I'm not practicing anymore. But I started to think as I was writing the book about Jane Doe, number one, Jane Doe, number two. And so th that morphed into the Janes, who are kind of this Greek chorus of mostly women, who helped in unbelievable ways, big and small. And I just partly wanted to illustrate, there's so many ways that we can embrace and love and support each other in these times. So instead of naming everybody individually, I would call them journalist Jane or Jane with the Mountain Home, or I think you're about to read the introduction to Engineer Jane. Yes. So this is Engineer Jane, and I will let you do the, the beautiful reading. Here we go. Charlotte. Engineer Jane confronted me one morning after I had dropped the boys off at school. I've been wanting to do something for you, but I'm a terrible cook, and I've noticed that you're always late getting the boys to school, and I thought Danny and Jason might like walking to school with my sons, even though they're in different grades, so I was thinking that if I was at your house at 7.45, then I could help you get to school on time. She interrupted herself. I'm sorry. Is now an okay time to talk? <laughs> I just... <laughs> I smile. I every time I hear that, I don't know if you want to talk about recording that big, breathless, giant sentence. And yeah, I, I remember it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I just want to preface by saying everyone loves Engineer Jane. I get more comments <laughs> about Engineer Jane than any other single Jane, and I think it's because Engineer Jane 
told me herself that she had no social skills and she couldn't cook, but she wanted to do something. And I think that's a feeling that we all resonate with that, like, what can I do? And, and I just wanted to encourage people that everyone has their own unique brand of light that they can shine for somebody else. And if you do not think you do, I would encourage you to rethink that because yeah. whether it's choosing the right audiobook or book book or making a playlist for somebody or taking them on a hike that only you know where the trailhead goes or something. I mean, there's just there's there's so many different ways to support people and everybody has their own unique light to shine in the world. And so I think that's why people just really are endeared to engineer Jane because she was very clear on what she could and couldn't do. And the gift that she offered me walking my kids and me to school every morning at 745 was unbelievable. She was on my doorstep every single morning for months at 745 exactly with her two kids in tow. Like who could do this? And I didn't need totally. And I did not need 12 moms on my doorstep every morning. I just needed one. Yeah. And that's my engineer, Jane. Um, So that was a very fun part to read. And, but boy, it took a lot of breath and several (laughs) takes to get, yes, to get, through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, And I will reveal that if you don't mind me saying so, I said, just go ahead and take a breath in the middle and then I will fix that after. (laughs) We can take those breaths out. But breathing is a big thing in audiobooks and when to let people know that, yes, you are a human and you do breathe, but when breaths distract from the story that is coming out. So that's mm-hmm. that was kind of a fun little we can we can fix that fix it well they fix it in the mix is one thing that they always say but there as i said there's no mix there is just you so right we we fixed it in the edit well it's it's lovely to have a little audio magic there uh, yes. because yeah breathing is key to the whole process breathing is key indeed so those are just a few moments there are so many more But, you know, another thing talking about Engineer Jane and you existing through time, through the course of this book, because the book goes from the day that Sam killed himself to about a decade later, right? We end in 2017. That's right. And One of the things I didn't get a chance to say to you the first time around after reading the book is that one of the things I absolutely loved the most about this book is your clear attentiveness to who you were and what you needed and what you were experiencing at every iteration of this experience of uh, I I hate to say recovery because it's recovering. It's the course of moving your life forward at each stage. And I don't want to go through all of them, but that's something that is really pivotal to me to say, mm-hmm. you know, who I was at this point in being alive and being a human and also when thinking about trying to write a story that we say, this is who I was at this point. And I 
have to honor and respect what I was going through then as 100% vital to me and who I was and what I had to do to get to the next step. And I, and I actually even think, maybe you can speak to this more, that you couldn't have gotten to the next step if you didn't go through exactly what you were feeling and what you were experiencing at each stage of moving through this time after Sam's death. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that is important about healing is that compassion for yourself yeah. in the process. Yeah. Healing and grief are ongoing. There's not a date certain on which we don't grieve anymore. We're not fixed after a year or even after 10 years. There's no expiration date on grief because love remembers. Yeah. Love remembers. We joke in our house, we don't hide the skeletons in our closets. We display them mm. on the walls and on top of the piano because they are how we got here. And I think it's important to honor who we were and where we were and who we are. One of the challenges, in my opinion, about writing memoir is that, you know, we live our lives in the middle, but a memoir mm -hmm. has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. And it is very difficult to craft a story out of the whole cloth that is our life. And I think that's a particular challenge in memoir because stories have to have a beginning, a middle, yeah. and an end. And character arc happens to fit nicely with healing and grief because the tragedy, mm -hmm. in my opinion, is if we are not changed by these experiences. Yes. How we respond, how we grow from these experiences is an important part of the healing. Not that we wish grief on anybody, but the truth is that life is heartbreaking. So when we grow and change in response to something that has happened to us, that can be the evidence of healing, hopefully, right? Sometimes people get stuck. I didn't want to be stuck. Yeah. That, that seems very clear to me that you, that was a big part of the hope, I think, to go back to that word, mm -hmm. that you didn't want to be stuck. And so you, you worked really hard to figure out what you needed next. Mm -hmm. And I, I am sp thinking about this in particular in relation to your spiritual journey and the whole idea of being attentive to who you were and what you felt about God, the universe, religious practices, whether or not it's about spirituality, religion, in the course of healing, did you feel that in the writing of it that you immediately recognized the need to call out when you felt like you had nothing to do with God anymore because you were so definitive about it. Yeah. <laughs> and and then you changed your lot, mind. I had a lot of words. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I had a lot of words for God, none of which were father, but some of which started with mother. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I think I think it's really important to be honest in our stories. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and I was pissed. Yeah. And I felt betrayed, not just by Sam. I figured out pretty early on that Sam was ill. He was not himself. There is no way he would have left those kids if he had been in his right mind. I don't think he would have left me either, but the kids were six and eight. I know. Like, what on earth? Yeah. But I was pretty pissed at God. Yeah. And I called God a lot of names and, you know, said if she wants to talk to me, she can make a house call because I am not going to darken her door. And I think it's important to own where we are when we are there. Yeah. yeah. That's the part that just every time I read it, I say, yeah, that's pretty darn. Did you have a sense when you were writing it that that's what you were doing, that you were being attentive to yourself in that time? I think by the time I was writing it, I had already been attentive to myself in that time. Yes, clearly. But did you, Um, I don't know. I I get very didactic with my questions sometimes. Like, did you know that that was exactly what you were thinking? But I guess you did if that was exactly what you wrote. Well, maybe I'll answer the question in a different way. When I did work with my book coach on creating the structure for Sushi Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. And well, just to back up a minute, I started a blog called Sushi Tuesdays in 2014. So seven years after Sam's death. And I wrote pretty consistently on the blog published every Tuesday for several years. And so I had a lot of blog posts, but I didn't have a coherent narrative with a beginning, middle and end. So that was part of what I needed the book coaches help with. Karen helped me release I usually use the word scaffolding. Mm -hmm. She put the scaffolding under the story. And so here's some behind the scenes on putting together the scaffolding that holds up the story of Sushi Tuesdays. There are three, what she called threads. One is sort of the chronological thread of what happened when Mm -hmm. and to whom. One was, we called it the mystery of Sam. So trying to figure out what had happened? Yeah. What went wrong? Where had I failed? Mm. Where had had I failed? Right. Where did Sam fail? And the third thread was the spiritual thread. Mm-hmm. Because as you and I talked about in the last Daring to Tell, I grew up in a very religious household. Mm-hmm. So how I think about a lot of things is really informed by that early spiritual history and one of the things that fell off right away after Sam's death was that faith piece, mm-hmm. which had right. been a very anchoring, tethering part of my life up until that moment. Mm-hmm. So now I've lost my faith and I've lost my husband and I am really at sea. Yeah. So the the three threads sort of are braided together in the book. Each of the threads has a beginning, a middle, an end, mm. a turning point number one, a turning point number two. Wow. So it, maybe that answers the question that you were trying to ask in a more sort of um, comprehensive 
way. Yes. No, absolutely. Is that from the very beginning of both my experience and my writing of the book, yeah. the spiritual thread was a robust piece of the story because I couldn't help a reader get into my own head and my own experience of Sam's suicide without understanding that I had grown up in a very particular religious outlook. Right, right. And that was obviously the thing that hooked me because I grew up in that same religious outlook. So that I was just flummoxed because I said, you know, it's not all that common. Mm-hmm. But that is, I love hearing about the scaffolding because now that you say that to me, I say, oh, yes, of course. Well, that's very clear. I mean, and I have gone through this book many times. <laughs> many yeah, times. So when you read it the next but, time or listen to it, listen now to you'll it. hear it. I know. And I was yes. thinking about this book also uh, to the eye and ear and mind of studying a book when we are in the process of writing a book, because I do mm. hope that this podcast is helpful for people who are also trying to write their story. I mean, that's kind of another one of my intentions with with creating it. I'll share with you a book that I stumbled into recently, and our cameras are off right now, so I can't show it to you. But it is an old book. Um, it has like a old-fashioned cloth-bound hardcover, and I can't remember the year. I'm trying to find the year it was published. I think it might have been in the 40s, but it might have even been in the 30s. Anyways, so it is called How to Read a Book, and Mm -hmm. it is by Mortimer J. Adler. I work in a bookstore, a used bookstore, and When I saw that, I thought, how to read a book? What a provocative title. And among the many things he (laughs) says, I'm only a tiny bit into it, but it's absolutely delightful read. And what he's talking about is really comprehending something that we read, not just sort of like letting your eyes go over the words on a page and have a general sense of what it is it was about or the type of reading in school, which obviously was a a long time ago, where you read something, you get tested on it, and then you forget about it the next week or whatever. But what he refers to is multiple readings and research that you then go into to look up the references that the author might have used specifically in nonfiction, not, he's not talking about memoir per se, but, you know, but things where you learn about something Mm -hmm. essentially. So I I just thought this was delightful because if there's any book that I know, like anything, it's this one, (laughs) it's this one I have not, I don't think I've read any book so much as I have read and listened repeatedly to Sushi Tuesdays. And so I felt like, okay, I feel like I get a lot of what she's doing, but clearly I have not even you know, gotten so far as to get your three strands of the scaffolding, which makes a lot of sense in hindsight. So that's kind of fun to hear. But yeah, I think all of that does speak to, again, your attentiveness and respect and gentleness and compassion for yourself and your children as you are going through this journey to be unstuck and to have it with hope. So Mm. Another thing I would love to have you explain to me, okay, for anyone who is curious to hear this book, is your dedication at the very, very beginning. Can you tell me about that? 
Mm. For my one? Yes. So I mentioned I started the blog called Sushi Tuesdays, not realizing. I always imagined Sushi Tuesdays as it is on the cover of the book, Sushi with Tuesdays underneath. But in URL form, there is one of what I call Uncle Jose's colorful (laughs) words right in the middle of Sushi Tuesdays, (laughs) which is perfect. It's poetic. If I had known ahead of time, I probably would have edited it out and chosen a different title. But once I had hit publish and it was out there, it's kind of poetic because Sushi Tuesdays is about dealing with the mess of life in a very real way. So when I first started publishing my blog, I thought if by sharing my story, I can help just one person, then it's worth it. It makes a difference in one person's life, then it's worth it. So with a fair amount of anxiety, I hit publish on the first blog post. And I think within, I want to say it was within 24 hours. It might have been 36, but it was almost right away. I got an email from a friend of a friend whose twin brother had died by suicide. And she said, thank you so much for sharing your story because you are giving me hope. Yeah. And she was my one. Yeah. And I think it does speak to how hard it is to talk about suicide and how many of us have a story to share. Yeah. And we might not get rid of suicide altogether, but we can certainly do better and we can absolutely reduce the isolation. Yes. And that has always been so important to me. So I always felt like if I, if by writing I can help just one person, then it's worth it to me. And so I dedicated the book to that one person. Yeah. Yeah. And of course now there's more than one, but I always just had one person in mind when I was writing, just one. Well, I, I love that so much. And I didn't, I didn't see that or get to that till almost the very end. I think it's at the end of your acknowledgments. You know, I think mm-hmm. would you explain who that one is? And I will say, because I don't know, because I'm me, when I read that dedication to my one, I was trying to think, oh, I wonder who that is. And I was thinking of it in a very <laughs> specific way. Because again, I just get so drilled down, like, I need to know exactly what she means by this. And I thought, oh, well, how exclusive. Like, it's for someone and we don't know and I'm not sure who it is. And so they know who they are. And I, and I was like a little grumpy about it. <laughs> As I can sometimes oh tend to gosh. get I know. And so when I got to the end and I saw that and then, you know, we've talked and I learned about your blog and the goal, the intention to reach that one person. And it it is the opposite of that is the absolutely the most inclusive thing that anyone could imagine. I just want to make sure no one ever thought (laughs) that same thing that I did. But I mean, that is one of the other things about this book that I love is your absolute beautiful inclusivity about everything. You are always about breaking down boundaries and sharing and opening bounty for all. And there's not a limitation on that. And so that's another beautiful thing 
about the dedication, about the book. I don't know. I feel like one of those Chris Farley interviews that he did on Saturday Night Live <laughs> when he talked to Paul McCartney. Is that really true? Like, how did you do that, Charlotte? How did, why was that? You know, like, that's, that just seems to me another core part of you, this inclusivity. Well, I, I'm so humbled by that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I wrote it for you. And for anyone who's listening, I wrote it for you too. Yeah. I I feel like you wrote it for me. <laughs> I, I mean, can I say <laughs> that? I felt like, oh, I know exactly. I, I mean, I, I have not lost a husband to suicide. But to quote you back to you yet again, um, there is really only one story and they are all different. Yeah. You helped me feel my story within yours. Um, and, and that is Mm -hmm. the connection that I think is one of the greatest things we can do, honestly, as, as humans and, and certainly as writers. I mean, that's what, yeah. That's what writing is about. I think it's about connecting with someone else. That is absolutely what it is. It's um it's quite a remarkable thing to be able to connect with somebody in that way. And so the writer in me is just thrilled whenever I can connect with a reader. I mean, it just the, it's it's never not thrilling for somebody to be able to pick up Sushi Tuesdays and have that feeling of, oh my gosh, she wrote this for me. Because yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it is the, it is such a, a huge heart that you have that you share. Um, and it makes every person reading it feel um, so special. It, it really does. Oh, I'm so grateful to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I feel like I don't know why everyone is not reading <laughs> this book. And, and you should. Everyone well, now they can should. listen to and it. Now you can listen, listen to Charlotte. Read it. Tell it herself. Um, I have two more questions here, and they're sort of tied together. The penultimate one, perhaps, is we get to live with you through this 10-year period and see a transformation in that time. And I'm just wondering, this is probably unfair to ask for anyone who hasn't read the book, but what's the story after 2017? How has the story continued to live for you as, as here we are today in August of 2023, having this conversation? Oh, wow. That is such an interesting question. Well, I am now the shortest one in the house, so that's a thing. I have four kids. Uh-huh. They are 5'11", 6'2", 6'3", and 6'3", and at 5'9", I am now the little one. So time is definitely, you know, marching. They have all now graduated from college. Two of them are married, and we have a granddaughter. And so life is continuing, and there is love and there is joy. I wish I could tell you that none of the kids um, suffered anymore from the loss mm-hmm. of a parent, but that's just not how it goes. I wish I could tell you that. I, actually, I don't wish I could tell you that Tim and I don't still 
feel sad because the the thing about love is that it continues. And so we do still hold on to our loved ones. And some days we're sad. And some days it takes our breath away. It's not as heavy as it used to be. And I think that's the story now is it's easier most days to carry the loss because we're stronger and we're better at it. But some days are crushing. I mean, our youngest, Jason, just graduated from college, which is thrilling and wonderful. But Sam wasn't there. Yeah. And that still sucks. Yeah. It still hurts and it makes us sad and mad and all the feelings all over again. But then also when, so spoiler alert for people who didn't figure it out yet. uh, I accidentally fell in love again and Tim and I got married and we blended our families and our oldest Gregory, he had just turned 18 when Tim and I got married. And I remember at Tim's and my wedding leaning to Gregory and saying, I will never try to replace your mother, but I hope that someday we'll have something of our own. Yeah. And fast forward to October, 2022, and Gregory got married and he called me. I'm going to cry again. He called me and asked me to choose a song for the mother-son dance at his wedding. I know it's pretty remarkable. And so it is work. It is work to blend a family. Yeah. But that's all families. Yes. Right. When you live in community, you will step on each other's toes. That is just the fact. And so how do we find our way back together when we have danced on each other's toes? And Mm. that's what we're doing. So that story is still continuing. That having been said, I don't think my next book will be a memoir. I think I'd like to try fiction next. And, yeah, you know, that probably means someone else will narrate it. But <laughs> we'll see. We'll get there. <laughs> I know you have someone in mind for that, too, because I know you've told me who your favorite narrator is. Do you want to share who your favorite narrator is? Well, I love Julia Whalen. I could listen to anything she reads. That having been said, Ann Patchett's new book, Meryl Streep narrates. Oh, and- you know, wow. Yeah. I love Meryl Streep too. So, yeah. it, you know, there are just a lot of really talented people in the world. And, and I'm just grateful when talented people share their light in the world. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's like Engineer Jane. <laughs> like, yes. what, yes. what do you have to share and who are you? And that's the most important thing for us to hear about from you, for you to participate in. And, yep. and I don't want to move past what you just said, because I think it's incredibly reassuring to know that there are always hard days you know, that I think this idea of a Hollywood happily ever after is it's because of what we've been through that makes some days sweeter and other days still, you're just right back in it. And as, as you say, the load, we might be stronger and the load might be lighter, but we have loved people. And when we've, gone through crisis, it, it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. I mean, Mm-mm. there's a lot of analogies about scars in this way too, which I find, 
interesting and I think are kind of appropriate for the same for the same reason. Yes. Yes, and we do heal. It's not that we're not healing. And also, sometimes life is painful. Yeah. And we have each other. That's the gift. We have each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and and to um accept the help, ask for help because that's how we get there. Life is a team sport. We are not supposed to do this alone. Well, I was going to say my final question was going to be about the end, which we <laughs> encountered. <laughs> but it's sort of, I mean, that's a little bit what we just said is, especially a memoir, there's not the end in the end. I mean, I even just spoke with another memoirist who I had on, Gretchen Charrington, who wrote a second memoir about her family history and telling the story of generations beyond one of her family's stories. So I feel like the end is this, it's just an arbitrary boundary that we draw mm. and one that we had to draw for the end of Sushi Tuesdays. Yeah. <laughs> but the end continues on. Yes, it does. Or something continues on beyond the end or something like that. <laughs> what I will ask you, which is my my little capper all the time, is what was most daring about reading this audiobook? Well, it's very emotional still. Yeah. It surprised me sometimes when I was reading the book and then just lost it. Like I've read it. I, I don't know if I've read it as many times now as you have, Michelle, but I've read it quite a few <laughs> times. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it surprised me some of those places like reading Sam's suicide note, and it's not very long, yeah. but it was really hard. And there, there are moments that are still just really full of emotion. And yeah. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it just speaks to our human capacity to feel and love and I would rather feel than be numb. And I think yeah. that it's hard. You know, I'd rather be joyful than in pain. But right. you don't get one without the other. And when you have experienced those devastating losses, the joyful times stand out in sharp relief. And that's incredible. Then you really... You really understand gratitude in a whole different way. Mm. That is, yeah, that's especially meaningful, thinking about gratitude that way. It's an important thing. It but is yeah, an important exactly. thing, um, but it's it's very nuanced, and, yeah. you know, I am not grateful for Sam's death. I'll never be grateful for his death. No, of course not. But I am grateful for him. Yeah. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to stop right now. Unless you have anything else to say that you didn't get to say. No, I'm just so grateful to chat with you and so grateful for the work we've done together. And we'll look forward to our next project, whatever that is. I find it both disheartening and comforting that 
in the end, sadness remains sadness. That the crises and trauma we've been through will always hurt. That grief remains within us because the love that we had also is still there. And that those little three summation words, in the end, are an ever-moving landing place. The end that is right now. And now. And now. And all the other nows that will indeed come while we are graced with time on this planet. Well, you have arrived at the now, which is the end of another episode of Daring to Tell. I do hope that you'll follow this podcast so that the episodes which come out on the first Tuesday of each month will automatically pop right into your podcast app of choice. Maybe you can even make it part of your own Sushi Tuesday ritual. I don't know. Maybe you'll share this episode with someone who might appreciate hearing from you or from Charlotte, maybe even from me, it might be just the thing to let them know that they are seen, they are loved. And remember, that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number 988. Help is there and available for the bravery of asking for it. I have a newsletter that goes along with this podcast right now. I am calling it Hit Pause. You can sign up for it at my website, michellerado.com. In the show notes, you'll find links to the audiobook for Sushi Tuesdays, as well as to a link for Charlotte's book coach, Karen Gutmann, who, by the way, has some really wonderful conversations with other writers as well, including... Laura Davis, who has been on this podcast, and the amazing Abigail Thomas. The music you hear on this podcast is written and performed by my husband, Phil Rado. I will put a link to more of his music in the show notes as well. And we will go out with his music today. And as always, I thank you for daring to listen. I will catch you next month. Wish I knew more about the Bible Wish I knew more about the midnight sun Everybody's waiting for a vibe But I don't want to be like everyone I wish the moon was a little bit bigger in the sky Wish the stars would shine a little brighter too Man, sleeping in a box on the sidewalk Mother and child, they look the other way Everybody hopes for survival How the hell do you ever get this way? Wish the moon was a little bit bigger in the sky Wish the stars shine a little brighter too
bit bigger in the sky And I wish the stars shine a little brighter too I think about that story in the Bible The story of the dreamer and the favorite son So 